Hi guys, welcome to White Collar Brown Girl, or Guy. We haven't had a guy yet, but you know, I'm sure we will soon. But um, without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to someone that I'm very excited to talk to. And the episode has actually been a um, long time in the in the making, you know, aligning schedules and whatnot. So um, welcome Cassie Gill, who is a senior editor at Hollywood Life. Welcome to the show, Cassie. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here and finally connect. I know, I know. And I, I remember you were so responsive and everyone listening, Cassie was so responsive when I interviewed uh, Sherry Jower. And when I when I interviewed her, she was one, Cassie, you were like one of the few people that like reached out and you actually acknowledged like, you know what I mean? The conversation, it was like yeah. very cool to hear from you. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited to be speaking to someone like you and I can't wait to learn about you know your your career and you know especially like you know what got you here and did you know you always wanted to be an editor so maybe you can uh, walk us down that memory lane and get us started you know with how everything yeah. yeah I mean so I would say going back to the beginning I was always a child very fascinated uh with popular culture I often say you know I was raised in front of the tv by my Indian grandmother but um really I I feel like the celebrity culture um and pop culture sphere had me enamored from again a very very young age um I would say I had you know in a unique sense I think coming from a South Asian family I am fourth generation Canadian which is uh fairly unique in of itself. So my dad's parents are actually born in Canada as well. Um, both of my mm. and my mom's dad. So I always like to to clarify that in the context of kind of being South Asian. I love that you're saying that because you're reminding me. Huge shout out to all of my very, very close friends from Trinidad who are Indian because they have said the same thing to me. They say, you know, because you know, I always joke, I always call them, you know, you're you're Indian as well. And I mean they are, they are Indian, but they'll laugh sometimes they're like no actually I'm from Trinidad you know like just I'm just saying that's where I grew up so I like that you made that point you know yeah and I, I the reason I, I wanted to get into that is because I've fortunately I've had a lot of exposure um kind of on the inside in a sense to the entertainment industry as a youngster as well so um, a couple examples of that are my grandmother's older brother. He uh, founded the Hollywood Wax Museum in Los Angeles in 1965. Um, wow. so I have many family members on my dad's side uh, that are still involved in running that business today, including some of my younger cousins that I'm very close with. Um, and beyond that, I have an aunt. My dad's sister worked in film uh, for, or has been working in film rather, not worked past tense. Uh, so she's been in film for about 30 years now. So I had the and opportunity of growing up and going to film sets with her. And my dad also has always been kind of a pop culture sports lover and had a brief stint with the ill-fated Vancouver Grizzlies, uh, which I think is has the distinction of being the worst losing sports franchise in all of professional sports history. So oh my uh, God. Grizzlies. I think they're they're in Memphis now, I think, uh, long forgotten by the by my hometown of Vancouver. Um, but through all of that exposure and a mom that also just like loved TV and popular culture and a grandmother who watched soaps every day. Um, I feel like that was really where the, the early onset uh, interest came from. 
Um, by the time I got to high school, it was pretty evident to me that I would want to pursue a career in entertainment and likely in media. Um, in Canada, we had Much Music, which is kind of like, uh, I guess, the similar version of, of MTV, but the Canadian version. And I just was always so enamored with the hosts and the VJs and everything that they got to do from the people that they got to interview and the red carpets that they got to do. And then I would spend mm. my summers in LA and I, was, I loved TRL and MTV. So um, by the time I got to university, I enrolled in the communi communications program at si Simon Fraser University in Vancouver um, and very quickly uh, got into doing internships through the co-op program. So that's kind of the oh. early inner workings of me and kind of how I got to where I am today, but happy to delve into the internships and everything. No, I love that. I would love to hear more about your internships because, you know, I'm always very curious and very, um, very much interested uh, about a perspective of someone um, such as yourself, because, you know, at the end of the day, um the stories behind like where we're really from what culture we really grew up in really um kind of I guess you know um uh accepted right and 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 grew up in and learned in terms of not just culture but like you know how to do business in that specific environment how to educate yourself when you know it's it's interesting because there's such diversity when it comes to like for example South Asian people you know what I mean and the way that they think so I think I just find it to be interesting to speak to someone whose family has been here longer than the average you know oh, uh, sure. South Asian person yeah. yeah, I mean, I often joke even amongst uh, my white friends in Vancouver that our family is more Canadian than theirs because I have friends whose grandparents are British born and raised and you like go to their houses and they have English accents. So it's like, it's a very interesting, unique perspective. And just for some context on that too, our family was very specifically one of the first 100 families to immigrate from India to Canada ever. So that's also history. Wow, that's very historic. Yeah. That's so really cool. So those 100 families built the initial seat community here uh, in Vancouver. Um, and then eventually, so that's even the interesting thing with our family being in Los Angeles or, or some component of my family, because they actually immigrated from Canada to LA. So that always confuses people because they're like, you know, they'll ask my family, oh, where are you guys from originally? And they'll say Canada, but obviously the heritage is Indian. So that's also just a very different and unique immigration history in and of itself. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's very, uh, it's it's a lot to talk through, you know, trying to explain it, because I, I'm telling you, like, um, all of the Trini friends I have, especially one of my friends, huge shout out to Liana, she's a wonderful human being, and she's actually, um, you know, she grew up in a family that for many generations, like I said, you know, same same story where it was in Trinidad, their family's established in Trinidad, um, and, but they still grew up with the like Indian culture being taught at home. So that was a challenge. And I remember having a conversation with her. And that's why I'm bringing this up because I had a conversation with her where she was like, it was very challenging for my mother because she had to go back and figure out the things that Right. A lot of people were just taught, you know what I mean, about their cultures. She that that barrier was there. So it's like Liana would always go above and beyond to understand new culture. So I just find it, I find it really, really cool and really interesting. I think it also removes some biases, right? Like I'm sure you ran into some situations where I don't know, maybe you didn't react the same way somebody would that, you know, it's, it's a first generation person. 
Yeah, I would definitely say so. And I, you know, one of my very dear friends um, comes to mind uh, who went to West Point Gray Academy with me, uh, which is a small uh, private school in Vancouver, but has given me such a wonderful network to this day. And many of my close dearest friends uh, come from that school. But Arpin uh, was the only other South Asian person in my grade and her background and mine are very different. So her parents moved here from India and they're much more traditional. And it's funny, I'm actually going to the House of Gucci movie with her later today. Um, but you know, we often you just had to tell me that. that's I'm so dumb. <laughs> um, but we often reflect on that, and um, you know, I feel like interestingly, I've actually learned a lot about my own culture through my friendship with her, which we're actually celebrating 20 years of friendship, I think, this month or mm-hmm. this fall, which is insane to think about. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do agree with what you were saying earlier, just in terms of you know, the way that you can kind of or maybe react to certain situations is very different because our family has uh, definitely on my dad's side leaned much more into the Western culture than I think uh, the average Indian family. And I would say a large part of that is because my grandparents both attended the University of British Columbia uh, in the 50s and felt that they had to assimilate very early on. So, um, you know, I think it just depends on when your family immigrated and sort of the background and the history there. But because they were here so early, I think that sort of played a role into the later generations of my family as well. Yeah, there's actually very few, you know, like you mentioned, like there's very few families that have been here from over very early points, you know, in American history that are of South Asian descent. So that, yeah, that's, that's huge. And um, I always wondered that, you know, thinking like, what are the next generations going to be like of people, not just, you know, even take it out of South Asia, you know, take it into any other culture. What, yeah. like, you know, what is the balance going to be between like the multiple cultures that they grow up in? So, you know, it really becomes this issue of like, you know, do we promote specific culture or do we start promoting just be a global human being, you know, and try to understand as much as you can about yourself, but like also others, because, you know, I don't know. It just, it's, it's like almost like a paradigm shift in the way that people are, you know what I mean? Like what's important and how they carry their day-to-day lives. Because when you immigrate, you're bringing over habits, you're bringing over, you know what I mean? So it gets like removed or refined rather over time in generations. That's what I'm trying to say. So, and I think that the earlier generations that immigrated also had to fight back against a lot of discrimination and racism, especially in that time. So I think that there was a lot of pressure to assimilate more into you know, a Western culture or more of a, you know, what your white friends were doing. So I think that's something to keep in mind as well. So I have a question for you. So when you, so did you have like a lot of people around you that you could say like in terms of like skin color and skin tone and just, you know, appearances like that you felt like you classified with? Cause you know, I know in me growing up, there was a lot of like, there were like, you know, cliques of Indian kids or whatever. And there were cliques of people that were there, but they connected on that thing. So, I mean, what was your take on that growing up? Was it something that you just, I mean, how, how did you perceive that? Like in college and stuff. I think the interesting thing with me and where I was raised. So Vancouver is, it's a big city, but um, there is some sort of, I don't want to use the word segregation because that's not the right word, but there is 
communities of different ethnicities that tend to live in certain areas. The area that I grew up on in the west side of Vancouver was predominantly Hong Kong Chinese and Jewish. So most of my friends were Asian or Jewish. Um, I didn't have a lot of Indian friends growing up other than my own cousins and family members that I was surrounded with because they lived in that part of the city. Um, so I think that I struggled a lot with my identity as being Indian as a youngster, especially in my teen years, because I felt disconnected from my own culture. Um, out of my elders, my family, only my mom's mom actually was from India. And she was a very devout Sikh. She was a very religious woman. Um, and she you know, was very strong in the culture. And I did live in her home uh, for, I guess, about seven years when I was growing up. But when my mom and I moved out into our own townhouse, I spent less time with her. And I felt like, it, and just going back to my friendship with Arpin, who I mentioned earlier, I think like meeting her kind of, showed me that there was a huge disconnect between me and my own culture. And I sort of lived that through my friendship with her. Um, so I think yeah. for me, yeah. um, it, it's, it's, it's a difficult question to answer because I think it's only more in the last two years that I would say that I've been a little bit more open-minded to exploring and understanding and recognizing my own culture and kind of even remembering at times that I am brown, I am South Asian. Um, and I think part of that too comes from the fact that my family is very mixed. So I am full Indian, but my brothers, for example, are half white. My mother's sister has a daughter, she's half black. So we have a lot of um, intermarriage and uh, inter interracial relationships in my family as well. So we're kind of a melting pot at this point. Um, I love that. Yeah. I love that. But I do, I have a very um, strong respect, I think, for, you know, our culture. And I'm definitely more interested in learning more about specifically my Sikh heritage, because again, I grew up in a household with a very devout Sikh grandmother who did the Sikh prayers every day. She used to hold kitherns in our house, which are like, you know, quarterly prayer events, yeah. people coming to the home. So I had exposure mm -hmm. to a kid that I think just sort of got like lost over time. And um my mom passed away a couple of years ago, but, um, and she wasn't necessarily, you know, a very religious person by any means on the outskirts. She was a very cool, hip, trendy mom, but um, towards the end of her cancer battle, um, I just found out actually a few days ago from my stepdad that he was actually taking her to the Sikh temple um, every day uh, to the mm -hmm. point where she didn't go anymore. So obviously she carried that faith with her and the culture with her, even through, you know, her most difficult times. But um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, I, I just, I didn't really process it until I got older. And I think I'm still processing that question that you're asking today. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's a really good point that you bring up because, you know, I think through that, like, pro, like, you know, first of all, I, I'm being very rude. I'm so sorry to hear about your mother and my deepest, most sincere condolences. No, really, that's, it's a lot to go through. And, um, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm sorry that you've had to deal with that. Thank you but, so much. Uh, yeah, no, but I want to, I want to go back to your point because, you know, I think this idea of like being open to interracial marriage, being open to like blending with more people, being more human rather than cult-like or sect-like, or, you know what I mean? Like it comes with this, you know, um, I guess with immigration, we're still at that really early phase of it, right? So like, it just makes me wonder like, a few hundred down, years down the road like a lot of that stuff is going to dissolve where it is so strict because right now I mean let me you know put it in perspective in the Indian community or the South Asian community you, as you know there are so many dating sites right there's so many like arranged marriage sites there's so much stuff that still 
holding on to this hope that like, you know what I mean? Like you're preserving something, but it's almost as if, and this applies for any culture is like, what is it that you're trying to preserve? You know, and I don't think yeah. that the children of these the immigrants that came over here could can answer that because they don't know, you know, so it's like yeah. a, it's a really it's an interesting time. It's an interesting time. So um, I want to ask you, though, in terms of like, you know, just being obviously, you know, women of color, it, it's I keep saying that and I hate saying it, but honestly, it's harder to climb up the ranks. It's harder to find opportunities and mentors and people real, that can really guide you. So. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that in terms of your career? Like who was, you know, the first person that believed in you really and, and pushed you? Oh, wow. I mean, I think it would be hard for us to say that's not my dad's sister, Asha, who I mentioned earlier, who works in film. I think I learned a lot from her from a very young age, just because of the fact that she treated me like an adult, even when I was 13. So when she was working on film sets, and I very specifically remember going to the Chris Isaac show in like grade eight and nine, and I was not there to hang out and meet celebrities. I was there to work and be a PA. So um, I think that really molded and shaped me very early on. Um, she was the first person who like taught me how to do a resume, how to do a job interview and all of that sort of very early career stuff. So I don't think I would even be here today without that influence, period. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think also I would say just a lot of influence from my high school. You know, it's it's a real it's a school that really promotes a go-getter attitude. I think the motto of the school is go forth with confidence. And I have a friend, Maddie, and I, we just crack that joke all the time because it's actually in Latin. It's like pro, pro, program demini confidenter or something like that. I'm sure I'm butchering that. Yeah. Um, but I think just through the culture of the school, I learned a lot about networking and relationships. And I would say that has been at the core of every success that I have ever had starting from internship one. Um, when I was in high school, for example, um, before I was even in university and doing the internships, I planned a charity fashion show and was able to connect with a bunch of retailers in Vancouver. One of them was Aritzia. That's one of my favorite stores. That's still the relationship that I have to this day. And it's interesting because I, I was actually 17 when I did that event with Arpin. Arpin keeps coming up in this conversation. Um, but I, I think just taking that ability to network and then apply that to having a hustle and a chase is ultimately how I got all of my internships because I've never, and I, you know, if anyone asked me any advice on how I've ever forgotten anywhere, I've never been a pile, a name in a pile of resumes that someone's just picked out that I've just never had that luck. That's never been um, pertinent to my success. It's always just been like finding who's hiring, emailing them directly, um, and just having that hustle. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost like a stalker on LinkedIn because I'm just trying to like track people down. But ultimately that would be, I think, the, the fruits of my success for sure. Yeah, and I can really, I can understand that because I think, you know, the, like when you're in the middle of trying to figure everything out on your own and you have to really kind of come up with new strategies, new ways, new tips and tricks for yourself, you know, like how to find, yeah. I think I've brought this up many times before about the idea of, you know, true mentorship and how difficult it is to, well, it was, you know, when we were growing up to find another woman, you know, much less a woman of color that you could really, you know, talk to. And it, it for me, it was interesting when I first realized how important this was in terms of the development of like um, minorities in this country was when like I met one of my friends, she was, you know, her mother was a doctor, right? And she was like actually very, like, she was divorced and she had um, very open-minded like, you know, viewpoints on a lot of things. And when I first met her, 
Like, I think talking to some a woman like that, that is older than me, that's the age of my mother, but she thinks so differently was really eye-opening. You know what I mean? For me, because it was like, I just think that, you know, I don't know. It's like, it's like a whole different way of like just approaching being an immigrant. That's really what it is. It's like, you don't, I don't know. I guess maybe you don't associate with it that much anymore after some time. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me for sure. Um, I mean, I think I'm trying to think like mentors, cause I've just had so many, I've had wonderful mentors, bosses and friends that I've made through every job and internship. So I think I'm the product of a lot of different people with regards to my success. It's hard to pick just one other than my aunt who comes to mind. That's awesome. I mean, I love that. You know, I love seeing people um, that deserve to be supported, supported. I think that's something we definitely don't do enough of. But, um, you know, I know that the editorial world can definitely be very difficult. And um, one thing I do want to ask you, because I had interviewed Kayla Greaves on my skincare anarchy podcast. And one thing she had brought up was a lot of the stories that have to do with women of color, especially black women, they end up falling on the shoulders of like, like, like you know, just the people who identify with that minority. So do you experience that in your sector of journalism as well? Or is it um not so much I don't think that I have but I think part of the reason I don't feel like I have is because of the fact that I didn't always in my head identify with being South Asian or at times when I was younger I think I would even forget so because I wasn't so culturally immersed in it in the way that a lot of my other friends were I don't know that it was a factor for me but I think that's also because I wasn't looking for those signs if that makes sense yeah, no, it does. It makes sense. It's just that, you know, I, I've, I've just struggled with it. You know, I've, I've struggled with finding a real mentor, a woman of real science, you know, and I know that like, you know, the guidance was just never there as much. And so it's just, I don't know, I guess I'm just curious, but I want to move on. I want to actually ask you about, you know, the kind of stories that you really like working on, like, you know, what is your, um, your real niche, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, so at Hollywood life, we obviously cover the day-to-day celebrity news, all the hot gossip. I'm also your primary Benifer source. So I love everything to do with all things, uh, Ben and JLo. They were my favorite celebrity couple growing up. Um, so it's a cross section of things. Um, you know, one thing that's really big for us at Hollywood life is we do talent interviews. So that would be connecting with the celebrity about their latest project, whether that's a fashion line or a film or uh, makeup brand or whatever it is they're launching. Um, I always love those opportunities to connect with people that, you know, especially ones that you grew up with or have idolized over the years, or you really res- respect their business hustle. Um, one particular one that comes to mind was Tony Goldman. And I actually got to interview him and his daughter, um, who is on the board for the MPTF fundraiser, which is a, a fundraiser for the motion picture arts community. Um, and that was really cool just to kind of get to interview them together. And I was also a really big scan, a scan, a big fan of scandal, uh, over the years. So that would have been a highlight for me at Hollywood life. And we obviously also do lots of red carpet events. So that has been kind of on pause through COVID, but, um, I'm, you know, the event queen, I feel like a cool event happens and I just kind of operate. Um, and I got my first taste for that when I was actually at CTV and that was probably the best five years of my career, uh, that I'll, I could possibly ever have. If I have something that beats this, I'll be absolutely thrilled. But, um, I was a senior producer and oversaw entertainment and lifestyle, um, on the morning show. So that would have been also at Bell Media where Kayla 
works as well. Um, and I was doing that in both Vancouver and Toronto. So I spent most of my time in my hometown in Vancouver on the show. Um, but through CTV, I got to go to my first Emmys, my first Oscars, um, and really had a bunch of very marquee uh, career milestones during my time there. Wow, I love that. I love that. I mean, I think, you know, like I always, from what I've heard from a lot of journalists and editors, it's just, you know, having that experience and being able to get that different experience from different places and, you know, just working on, um, I was talking to an editor for the COVID tour the other, the other day, and she made a really good, great point. She said, you know, a lot of times um, you want to end up at publications or you want to end up writing for something where it gives you this, like, um, you know, ability to write about something, but then that doesn't turn into the focus of the month. You know, it doesn't turn into like, like it's a lot more freedom is what she was trying to say. So yeah, and I really felt like I had that with CTV. I actually started at CTV as an intern in 2011. Um, after I had been living in LA for a year, I came back um, and the network was rebranding the morning show. So it was actually the show that I had grown up watching, but with a new name, same set, and they were refreshing the whole thing. So that was such an honor to be a part of just from the early days. Um, and I really have to give a shout out to uh, my former boss, Chris Flack. He's still with Bell Media today now in Toronto um, on a morning show there. But, you know, Chris really had a vision alongside our director, James, about what they wanted the show to be. So I was there from the ground up. Um, and then I moved to Toronto for a couple of years, came back as a social media producer and basically worked my way up through that show until I moved back to Los Angeles. So um, what I loved so much about that opportunity, though, is I was really able to mold it to what all of my different skill sets and strengths were. So I was, you know, doing overseeing digital, but then I was also on air doing our entertainment recaps. I was in LA a lot covering events on the ground there. I was in sales meetings, able to guide uh, branded editorial strategy. Um, and I was still also booking celebrity guests and lifestyle content and coming up with segment ideas because we had three to four segment slots a day. So that's a lot of guests and a lot of live TV time to fill. Um, and beyond that, we were also on location a lot. We did live shoots in places like New Zealand, Disneyland. Um, like this was really just a dream job in so many ways. And I got so much out of it beyond just the experience of working on the show because the people that I worked with on that show, including Chris and James and um, our producers, Melanie Booth and Melissa Taylor, I would say we're still like a family to this day. I talk to all of them very frequently. So it was so much more than a show to us, but um, it was a real family and community environment. And I think that's just the best thing that you can ask for in a workplace. I love that. I really love that. And I love hearing teams that work like that because honestly, that's where like the best content or the best of anything comes from, right? It's like you even hear about, about you know, old rock bands, you know, when they were like the Beatles, you know, they were great. And then when they started arguing over stupid stuff because they had too much time on their hands, you know, things fell apart. Yeah. So. <laughs> We did occasionally, you know, it is a TV studio, so we would occasionally have some drama with other shows or other hosts or what, whatnot, but, you know, it's just par for the course in a, in a TV environment, or especially at a big broadcaster, but I would say generally speaking, like, we all got, got along so well, and, um, you know, I wouldn't have had that opportunity, though, had I not had that internship in my very last semester of university. And I, I can't stress enough. I think that internships are so key and so paramount. Um, I did. I love that you just said that. Please say it again. I hope everyone listening heard her. Absolutely. Internships are the most, they're very important. Yes. 
Yeah, yes. please elaborate on that. I please was, elaborate on that. I, well, I was the intern queen. Like, I don't know anyone who hustled as many internships as I did for a four and a half year degree. Um, I actually, it's interesting because I struggled a lot with trying to find an actual internship in my first and second year of university. And I was also doing this at the time of like Lauren Conrad in the Hills. So it was like everyone and their dog wanted to find like a glamorous, sexy internship somewhere. Um, but I was able to, after doing a bit of volunteering with different PR firms and, uh, online outlets, including the stylespy.com shout out to Erica Lamb, which she was like the OG Vancouver fashion blogger. I was able to get my <laughs> first uh, full-time internship at one of the largest PR firms in Canada, which is Citizen Relations. Back then it was called Optimum PR. And what was so amazing about that experience is I was there for three semesters before, during, and after the 2010 Winter Olympic Games. So for a 19, 20-year-old, this was honestly bucket list because we had been talking about the Olympics coming to Vancouver, Canada at that point for like, I think 10 years. So by the time it was finally happening, it was just like an incredible milestone because I was there and able to attend things like the opening ceremonies. I was there for, you know, some of the major hockey game wins um, and also getting to kind of see how a major event like that operated on the backside. So I got to work on clients that were actually Olympic sponsors and two of them that come to mind are Bell, which uh, is the owner of CTV where I later worked. They're also a large cell phone company. Um, wow. and Cheerios was another one. They were hosting tons of different events daily for the Canadian uh, gold medalists. And it actually it's like for all the medalists, it's been so long now, so it's hard to remember. Um, and then another major client I remember working on was McDonald's so um that was just you have had like so much experience that's that's nuts wow yeah, no and truly really, you know it's well-deserved um you know compliments because honestly th that that's a that's a fact in itself and that's the point in itself is that you've put yourself out there in a way that is like not just like doing internships but you're like it's it sounds to me like you were always striving for that next step like what's the next one what's the next thing I can do what's the next job I can take that's going to keep me going in this idea of or what we call the category of media right and that really leads me to a very important question I would love to get your insight on is how do you see like, cause you know, I've interviewed a lot of beauty editors, right. And like, um, and in their niche, like, you know, obviously like a lot of things with beauty and all that, they fall into this, you know, I don't know, like it's a whole different way that people are consuming it. So what is your take on print versus digital versus TV or video? Well, uh, what do you, you know, like? <laughs> That's a loaded question for sure. I know, I know, but I really like it doesn't have to be a perfect answer either I just want to know like what you see it as because I get very confused it's as if we are all consuming it right in all yeah. ways you yeah. know what I mean so totally. yeah. I mean I've had the privilege of getting to work on all different all three at different points in my career so actually going back yeah. to my internships it was at St. Joseph Media um and I was there um actually I think the summer of 20 2009 that's crazy so I worked on fashion magazine and wear Vancouver which is like a, a travel publication so that's been a number of years now but I would say from what I'm seeing today I think the day-to-day -day general consumption of media and news is online and it's online only. I think that the evolution of the magazine has now transitioned to become a specialty thing. 
I think there's nostalgia around the experience, but I think that magazines are having to kind of restructure the way that they're offering their products. So what I'm seeing now, which I love, are a lot of these quarterly, beautifully produced niche magazines that people are willing to spend like 20 to $30 for. They're almost like a coffee table book, if you will. And they still have fabulous content, great articles, but really like deep reads and beautiful photography and editorials. I think that's where print is going. Um, I. With that said, though, as I think there is still like a demographic of people and my grandmother comes to mind that are still going to buy the People magazine at the newsstand every week. I will say, though, against that, I think that that demographic is, you know, they're getting older, they're aging out. And I don't know that that's a sustainable business model for a magazine or a media brand that is predominantly focused in print. I don't think print is dead. I think print is just evolving. Um, I think or it's being limited too, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, you can't, the way that people are now creating content or consuming it or just everything, like it's, there's, there's no way you can do it in print. You know, it's not, it's not a moving thing. It's, it's something that you have and you're, it's almost like photography. It's merged into more of like this photography, totally. uh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could agree with that analogy more. And I also think it's almost like the re anticipated release of a film, right? Like I think if it yeah. really promotes itself in terms of like, Hey, this is what's going to be in here and in teasing it long-term and then just sharing teasers online. It seems like that model is working really well for certain publications. But I think just in terms of like the weekly magazines and the monthlies, I think that that model, we're going to start seeing change. I think a lot of the monthlies are starting. I'm already seeing it now where they're going down to like six issues a year. And that seems to be working better for the consumer and the magazine. So that's so interesting. I know there's a lot of magazines coming out with subscriptions too. Like, you know, that's where I asked you that question because it's not just, you know, I only, I always make that question more about like print versus digital, but I really wanted to, you know, get your take because like this idea of like TV and like videography and, you know, just different ways of like, you know, I guess TV now is just such a bigger word, right? I mean, it encompasses like Prime Video and, you know, like Hulu and all these like app channels and stuff. So it's like, we're consuming so much and to stay on top of that as like, you know, not only writing articles, but like delivering news or delivering, you know, um, things like it's just it's interesting to me like how all of that merges and how that merger of these different ways of consuming um you know just like wellness articles or whatever like how does that really work all together you know and is there a publication out there right now that's really mastered that because I don't see it I, I have to give a shout out to Natural Habitat. A friend of mine, Sarah Harrowitz in Vancouver is the editor-in-chief of that one. And it's actually a brand publication off of Vitruvi. But I think exactly what you said is what she's trying to achieve. They just produced their first edition of the magazine and it's absolutely beautiful. So I think like she's kind of on the cutting edge of what print is probably needing to be in the direction that I'm seeing it go. Because like I said, it's becoming more of this like special edition limited production type of thing. And it seems like across the board, whether you're Oreos, a streetwear brand or a magazine, create, doing a collab and making something limited edition seems to be working, so. I, I think, you know, I, it, I, I love your viewpoint on it because it's definitely something I know very little about and I'm still trying to navigate the world of podcasts because, you know, trying yeah. to figure out where all of that fits in as well, you know, in terms of um, content consumption. It's, it's really uh, interesting. You know, I, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I was going to add too on the television front. Um, 
I think that was a fascinating experience for me because I was work, working in TV at a time where, you know, ratings across the board were at a free fall because people were moving towards more on-demand content. But the one element of live broadcast, or the two, I should say, that seemed to still really be performing across the globe are morning shows and live sports. So people still want to get up in the morning and they still want to be able to listen to what just the brief headlines are, the weather and the traffic before they head out the door and maybe get a little cooking segment in there. Um, and then of course, live sports will always have an audience because everyone's dying to know what's happening. Um, but with that said, I still would see market share of the morning shows dropping. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what live broadcast looks like in five to 10 years, because I think that the audience that tunes in for that evening news is disappearing. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think it's already on that. Yeah, it's on that verge because I'm not going to lie to you. You know, I think a lot of people have said this and I know it's it's been a very buzzworthy conversation about how, oh, every time I turn on TV, it's bad news. Every time I, you know, it's very like filtered. It's very this and that, whatever, you know. And, but so I think that uh, society has already convinced themselves that they're not in need of that anymore. You know what I mean? Like we don't need a daily show. We don't need a, you know, or like a whatever, like just every day you're feeding us the same news. And there's this whole culture around that, which is why media to me is even more interesting because now we're finding ways to do the same things we were doing before, but we're doing it in just even more interactable ways. And that's why really it goes back to my question of the three mediums mixing together because it's like, you know, eventually are we going to get to like videos that you can like touch and you, you know what I mean? Like you can actually like save and like, I don't know. I'm talking crazy I know but it's very I know, I, I know what you're saying though like things are becoming more interactive and more immersive and I think if you look at the video game world and what's happening there with VR and the whole goggle thing and I know like Google was playing around with a pair of glasses that were very interesting like there's definitely something there I don't think that it's quite taken off yet to the extent that a lot of the tech companies want it to but eventually that gaming technology will likely spill over into you know, regular TV consumption. Like I'm even already seeing the evolution in the movie theater. Like when you go and there's the D box option or whatever it is, and the seat actually moves. So it's almost like a mini ride while you're watching an action flick. So I think we're slowly seeing these more immersive and interactive experiences seeping into the entertainment space. And it's just going to be a matter of time where before it's, you know, easily accessible to the average person watching television at home. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Now, you know, I actually want to actually round out the episode, um, Cassie, because I think that um, it's very important to give not I hate calling it advice, but really guidance, you know, and I'm very big on the whole like what we talked about the mentorship idea, because I think that, you know, regardless of what age you are, you can always learn from someone who might have gone down the route that you've been thinking about. And, you know, especially with your background, you've seen, like you said, you know, three sides of this, um, you know, this immense industry and business that we're all involved in somehow, you know what I mean? So it's like, like, I want you to give some career guidance if you can and just anything that you found to be helpful for you when you were you know climbing the ranks and yeah absolutely I mean there's one thing that I tell anyone in my life whether they're an intern and someone I'm mentoring but I've even said this to people that are older than me that I think that the three currencies that matter the most are time is the first because it's finite you can never get it back your health because if you don't have your health you know a lot of things could be going wrong um but is absolutely it's relationships. And I think I cannot stress that enough. I think so much of success comes down to 
your tribe, the people around you, but also constantly networking and, and making new connections and relationships. Um, that is really, again, at the core of a lot of my success. And I don't think of it as just relationships for myself. I'm really big on connecting other people with other people and seeing what happens there. And I've been able, fortunately, to connect so many in my network and so many of my close friends actually with jobs that are been fabulous for them that they never even thought about or didn't have a connection to. So I can't stress mm -hmm. enough for, you know, a young person who is looking at trying to be in the PR or media or entertainment industry at large is network as much as you can and make as many relationships as you can. And I think so much of that happens at the internship level. I would not be here today if I did not do four to five different internships that each have shaped me and played a huge role in my life. And that's everything from the PR internship at Citizen, um, interning at CBS Daytime on the Bold and the Beautiful. That was one of my biggest life learning lessons actually in that year long that I was there. Um, totally transformed me as a person. Um, and then I had the opportunity to go on to CTV and like I said, also intern at the magazines before that. So I think through the network that I was able to cultivate in Los Angeles and Vancouver and Toronto through all of those positions, ultimately have played a role in where I am today. And it's interesting because I think sometimes you don't even know that a connection that you've made will play a role years down the line. So an example that I'll give you is I left CTV not by choice. I was a freelancer and wanted a full-time job. They didn't have a full-time position for me after my initial internship and before I came back into the role I was talking about earlier. Um, so I went for another year to another job. And at that job, actually, Penske Media was my client. So Penske Media owns Hollywood Life. And if it wasn't for that connection, I would not be here today in this job. Wow. I never would have thought about that eight years ago. Yeah, no, that is a solid point. That's real, though. That's real talk, because honestly, you know, no one teaches that in schools, of course. No one teaches you how to build a network. No one teaches you how important it is. So, uh, yeah, definitely, you know, if there's any young professionals, please really uh, take that advice because you're right you're absolutely right and you know it's funny um you know in my own way I discovered that like you know even in something like uh, science where you would think that you know facts run the whole show it's not it's about who you know and it's about you know I've spent for me in my career I spent so many years watching people that were underqualified less qualified just go because they had connections you know what I mean so it's like it's it it, it goes both ways kind of thing it's like if you make good connections, like they will be good for you. But if you, yeah, I just, I love that you said that. And I think it's, it's really important to not to get caught up in the game of who's qualified and who's not qualified, because at the end of the day, as you know, and I say, this as a university educated person. I just did a certificate actually a month and a half ago with the Condé Nast College in uh, London, because I think, you know, it's always fun to keep learning. And again, it's just great for networking, but it's don't get caught up in levels of experience and being qualified or not qualified, because who is really qualified for anything, honestly? So okay, I'm going to share this story right before we're ending this, because this is so hand in hand with what you just said. And I really enjoy that you, you know, are one of the very few other people on this planet that think like this, because I think like genuinely when it comes to qualified, and I hope there's some business owners listening, because I kid you not, I took a break from science and I ended up going into IT. It's like, you know, for me, like building computers and stuff was a hobby growing up as a child. So I thought I needed a year off from medicine. I just couldn't do it anymore. And I ended up in this like you know, I got hired to be a data modeler, which by the way, you need to go through extensive like 
training. Like you need to know Oracle, you need to know like all these different languages, right? For um, programming. And anyways, uh, what happened was I went in for the interview. Now, mind you, I had only known a little bit about data modeling, like in terms of like the philosophy of it and what how it works, right? On the bigger level, but I wasn't really qualified for it. But what they did was there are two people who interviewed me and they said, this is our problem go draw it on the board, what you would do and how you'd create this model. And I'm not kidding you in that moment. I literally just, like, I had no idea what the answer would be, but I drew what they were wanting to see, which is she can think about, you know what I mean? Like, at least she's comprehending the problem here. So it's like, I agree with you. Qualifications only mean so much. It's more about what do you really bring to the, you know, to the table? Like, what can you show? Yeah. I, exactly. I think it's so much about what you can bring, um, but also being open and what you can do. So, you know, sometimes it's not about what you've done. It's about selling yourself and showing them about, you know, whoever them is, whether it's someone hiring you or whatever, um, just that, you know, you bring a certain attitude to the table and that you can figure out a solution to their problem, whatever that problem is. So I think so much of it is malleable having the right attitude. And again, I think it comes down to a lot of, um, you know, who you know, instead of what you know, and even going back to the school thing, and you know, you mentioned business honors grads, I know so many people went to amazing business schools. And I think that's great. But I think so much of the success of the business schools is the network at the end of the yeah. day. Oh, yeah. oh my I mean, honestly, it's like the, a lot of people can sit here. I mean, I'm horrible at math. So I say this with a grain of salt, but I think a lot of people can do those mathematical courses in the accounting ones or whatever it is that they study in, in business and the statistics classes. Um, but ultimately it's like, how are you actually applying that information in the real world? Because again, when I look at the successes of a lot of universities or people that have gone to certain schools, it's because that network has risen up and supported them. And I've been on the right side of that and I've been on the wrong side of it. And let me tell you, like when I was a Vancouver kid moving to Toronto, I thought I was not gonna have a problem finding a job because I had interned at CBS Studios on, on the Bold and the Beautiful and it looked great on my resume at like 21. Um, because when I moved to Toronto, I hadn't gone to U of T, I hadn't gone to Ryerson and I hadn't gone to Humber College. That was very, very difficult, especially in that age group, because everyone else that I was competing against were those entry level jobs. It wasn't that I wasn't quote qualified. It was that I didn't go to one of those schools and everyone hiring at CTV at that time who was older than me had. So they were prioritizing people that were alumni of the same schools that they had gone to. So it's like I've seen it work and I've seen it not work. So I mean, I get it, but again, you just have to break through, keep with it. Um, you know, my mom always said, would say, and I know it's cheesy, don't ever give up. Um, but I think a lot of the time too, if someone tells you no, it's about going back to the drawing board and figuring out a way to get a yes, because there's 102 ways to get somewhere. It's just about choosing one that works for you. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree with you. And I think I had said this in my other interview, you know, any mathematician will agree that there are almost an infinite amount of ways to come to the solution of any given problem. Absolutely. That's the real, you know what yeah. I mean? That's the real mystery of math and that's the real, um, you know, so it's, I completely agree with you. And I think that we all have to pave our ways. And, um, you know, I'm so excited to hear that there are individuals like you, you are so, you know, like multicultural in the sense of like just multi, you know, culturally aware, you know, and I think that's really what it comes down to is, you know, yes, focus on success and chase success, but also make sure by the end of it, you come out to be a well-rounded human, 
at the end Absolutely. of it. Because, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like well-rounded is like the key word that I use actually when I talk about my internships, because I specifically did one that was in print. Then I did one that was in PR. I did one that was in scripted. And then I did one in broadcast. And I have to say that even though the thing that they have all have in common is storytelling and being in entertainment and communications, they were different enough that I was able to learn different facets of the industry. And I think that that has uh, been a very key factor to my success beyond the connections that I've made, because it's like, I can very easily move between different types of positions because I have a well-rounded background. I love that. And that's so important because you are, you know, it's like you're pliable. Your per, you know what I mean? Your intelligence is pliable in the sense that it can be, you know, you, and that that's an important point is like, you know, it's, we all pride ourselves on being, well, I feel like I'm a smart person. I feel like I've done, you know, but it's also about being, how do you apply your intelligence in a completely different place that you've never been, you know what I mean? You're not used to. And how do you really bring that knowledge and that work that you've worked so hard for? How do you bring that forward in a creative way? And you can't teach creativity. So you have to go out there and do it. You know, that's really like the way I see it with any craft or anything. So, you know, I, I love that. I love that you're so open-minded and just really well-rounded. And, and I love that, that, you know, you focus on that. That's important. So thank, thank you. you very much. Very big focus for me. Yeah, no, this is great. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, I, I would love speaking with you and I would love to have you back anytime. I think that there's definitely not enough women out there that are, available to really give like you know real advice you know what I mean no fluff anymore like cut the fluff let's just get down to like the stuff that really helps uh you know next generations so I I'm very thankful for your time and uh yeah I hope you know everyone enjoyed the episode I'm going to link everything in the art and if you have any questions for Casey please leave them in the art and I will definitely pass them along to her if she has the time to answer them but thank you so much for tuning in